0: Amen? Amen. Come on. But our allegiance to that kingdom is always being tested, isn't it? It's always, we're always being enticed. We're always being called to. We're always being either threatened or bribed to give our allegiance, to place our faith, to find our hope in something other than Jesus. Someone other than Jesus. Something other than than his kingdom. And we're going to see a story today. We're going to tell a story that's been told for centuries about a person who was just in such a situation where he was given a stark choice to remain faithful to the one who had called him the true king or bow his knee to another king. And this person, Daniel, maybe was tested more than anyone else in the Bible in this way, except for Jesus himself. He had attained a very high position, as we'll see, and all he had to do, literally, all he had to do was close the window. Something that just seems so simple. Something that you could so easily justify. And yet, he didn't. And because he didn't, he ran afoul of some pretty scary characters. Now, kids, this video may be a little bit scary, so just let me know what you think. But let's show that, Jeff, because this is what happened to Daniel. Gonna do the king likes Daniel more than me and you. Oh no, what we gonna do? We gotta get him out of here. Oh no, what we gonna do? The king likes Daniel more than me and you. Oh no, what we gonna do? We gotta get him out of here. We could oh, blow him, the king the dungeon. We could blow him, him, we rot gotta get him out We got a dog. We could throw him in the tigers, let him go to wild, and we'll let sit back and watch him feed a hungry, suck a child. We could put him on a camel's back and send him off to Ur with a cowboy hat, rim, a powder, a boot without a spur. Or oh, we could give him jelly donuts, take him all away, or we could fill his ears with cheese balls and his nostrils with sore. We could use him as a footstool or a table to play scrabble on, then tie him up and beat him up and throw him out of Babylon. Or. Yeah. Mm hmm. It's sneaky, and it just might work. We could (laughs) use him as a footstool, a table just by Scrabble-on, and tie him up and beat him up and throw him out of Babylon. You never want to run afoul of the French onions. (laughs) That is not a group that you want to mess with. You see, Daniel had been taken captive by the Babylonians when he was just a boy. He could have been bitter and fought to escape, or given up hope and ended up trying to be faithful to God, given up trying to be faithful to God, and just started dressing and acting the part, worshiping like all the other Babylonians. He didn't. He was smart and trustworthy. And after years of serving as a number of different kings, faithfully, he eventually ended up as one of the three men in charge of the whole kingdom, of what would come under the rule of a new group, the Persians. Yes. It's kind of like your parents living through multiple takeovers and mergers in their company. Daniel lived through all those things, and each time, his faithfulness, his smarts, Moved him up the ladder. The thing is, this didn't make him popular at all. And the other supervisors didn't like it a bit, as we saw. So they got together and figured a way that they could get rid of this person that they were now having to serve. (laughs) These supervisors, they all got together and started singing, Oh no, what are we going to do? Actually, they didn't probably do that. But they went to the king and did this. They went to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. To all the supervisors of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, counselors, and governors, it seemed like a good idea for a royal edict to be issued and a new law to be enforced. For the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human other than you, O king, should be thrown into a den of lions. Doesn't sound like a very nice place to be, does it, with that? You see, Darius was a new king, and plenty of the people he had just conquered might still like the old kings. They might still like the old ways of worshiping the old gods, and they might do that as a way of opposing Darius's rule, showing that he really wasn't all that popular. But Darius was being swayed by these men, and he continued to listen. This is what they said. Now let the king issue a written, a written law so that it cannot be altered according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be changed. Well, in the end, Darius probably thought this would be a good way to get everyone to fall, to fall in line and follow him as the new king. So King Darius issued a written law When Daniel realized, and the law said, don't let anybody worship anybody else but Darius. When Daniel realized that a written decree had been issued, which means he probably wasn't there when it was being discussed, he entered his home where the window in his upper room opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he was kneeling and offering prayers and thanks to God, just as he had been accustomed to doing previously. You see, Daniel had always known a much stronger loyalty. He had always been faithful to pray to the God of his childhood, the God of his people, the true God. He always was loyal to the God that we've come to know through Jesus. I mean, heck, he might wear the Babylonian fashion and learn to speak fluent Persian, but in his heart and in his mind, deep down in his soul, he knew there was that he was one of God's people. He was a Hebrew. Then the officials who had gone to the king were keeping an eye on Daniel and found him praying and asking help before his God. See, they had set the trap. Just like they planned. So they approached the king and said to him, Did you not, O King Darius, did you not issue a law to the effect that for the next 30 days, anyone who prays to a god or a human other than you, O king would be thrown into a den of lions. The king replied, That is correct, according to the laws, the, the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be changed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the law that you issued three times daily. He offers his prayers to his God. When the king heard this, he was very upset and began thinking about how he might rescue Daniel. He didn't consider that this would happen. Until late in the afternoon, he was struggling for a way to find a way to rescue him. But the jealous advisors wouldn't let him off the hook. They reminded the king, recall, the saying, Recall, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians and that no law that the king issues can be changed. Darius' hands were tied. So the king gave the order, and Daniel was brought and thrown into the lion's den. Can you imagine? The king consoled Daniel by saying, Your God whom you continually serve will rescue you. Then a stone was brought and placed over the opening to the den. The king sealed it with his signet ring and those of his nobles so that nothing could be changed regarding Daniel. Daniel. Then the king departed to his palace, but he spent the night without eating. No diversions were brought to him. He was unable to sleep. In the morning, at the earliest sign of daylight, the king got up and rushed to the lion's den. As he approached the den, he called out in a loud voice, Worry, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, to whom you continually serve, able to rescue you from the lions? What do you think? Was he? Was he Jet? Was he able? Was he able? We know the end of the story, right? Yes! Yes, he was! Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever! My God sent his angels and closed the lion's mouth so that they have not harmed me, because I was found to be innocent before him, nor have I done any harm to you, O king." Then the king was delighted and gave the order to haul Daniel up from the den. So Daniel was hauled up out of the den. He had no injury of any kind because he had trusted in his God. Now, what happened next to the people that had conspired against them, I will let your parents tell you if uh, they want to read that particular part of the story. Let's just say that the lion's breath smelled like onion for quite a long time after that. If you paid attention to the video. So Daniel is alive, and he goes back to work for King Darius. Wrote to, and King Darius, because of this, wrote to all the people's nations, languages, groups who were living in all the land. And he said this, peace and prosperity. I have issued an edict that throughout all dominion of my kingdom, people are to revere and fear the God of Daniel. And this is what he had him say. So we're all going to say this together. So I'm going to say a line and then we're going to repeat it. And this is going to turn out later to be our benediction today. But this is what he said because when these edicts would go out, the people would repeat them. And this is what he said, "For he is the living God." He is the living God. "He endures forever." He endures forever. "His kingdom will not be destroyed." His authority is forever. His authority is forever. He, rescues and he rescues and delivers and performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. He has from the power of the lions. Amen. Amen. Yes. Now, so what are we to do with this other than make it a nice story and do a lot of religious art over the years, which has been done? What are we to do with this story? What are we to learn from it? Well, I think first of all, we need to, to define a few things. So we're going to play a little game, okay? So everybody needs to, to pay attention here. Uh, Mrs. Cornette, where is Mrs. Cornette? Mrs. Cornette If you'll see up here, we have, today's the first Sunday of Advent, and we have the boxes that represent our different Sundays for Advent, and today is the Hope Sunday. So today, we're going to look at some things that help us encourage in our hope, and if you would stand right there, please stay there for just a moment. Now, so we're going to play this game, it's called Person, Place, Team, or Thing. Person, Place, Team, or Thing. Are you with me? So just, just to show you real quick how we go, Mrs. Coronet is a person. Yes, good. Okay, you can sit down. So this is a thing, right? The iPod is a thing. This represents a, a team. Yes, very good, Ajax. This is the football team from Amsterdam. And this represents, I know it's kind of hard to see, a place, yes, it's a church in Russia with that. Okay, so you have the idea? So we're going to flash some things on the screen, and you're going to have to tell us what it is. Is it a person, place, a team, or a thing with that? All right, kids, you ready? watching? Okay, so Jeff. Thing, yes. And it's a very good thing, right? Pepperoni pizza is a very good thing. What about this? Person. Yes. Team. Is that a good team or a bad team? <laughs> What's this? Place. Hawksbill Craig. Yes, that's a place. What about this? It's a thing. It's a crazy thing, but it's a thing. Next. It's a team. Yes. Good. All right. And then we have a person and place. Right. Thank you. Great job. Way to play. Good job. So here's the thing. Why do we we talk about people and places and teams and things? Well, because those are all things that we are tempted to put our trust in. Those are, all, those are all identities that we are constantly being tempted to find our hope in. We want to we put our, our trust in things that if we have more things, more monster trucks or, or bicycles or, or, or things like that or a bigger house, that that's what will give us hope. That's that's what will deliver us with that. Or it could be a place, right? It could be that we're, because we're part of a certain country, or part of a certain culture, or part of a certain, you know, a place that we have a certain name on our passport or country on our passport. Well, that's where our hope should be with that. Now, for a lot of us, it's a team, and team represents more than just sports. I mean, yeah, it could be the Razorbacks, or it could be the Cowboys. It could be a team like that, or it could be the team of kind of your culture, like, like, like you're part of the rock climbing out, cl- outdoor team, or you're part of the team that, that does you know, academics and, and education, and, and you're part of the really smart team with that. But it's kind of that group or that culture that you identify with, and you put your hope and your trust there. And for some of us, it's a person. For some of us, we're, we're supposed to put our t- trust in a political leader. Or maybe a movie star. Or maybe someone that we want to be like, a, a rock star or an athlete, that we want to be like that person. And that's where we put our trust. And the thing is, all of those things fail. All of those things fail, except One. There's only one person that we are ever to put our allegiance in. There is one person that we are to trust above all other people. And that person is Jesus. He is the one that we are to put our allegiance and our trust in. Now, there's one more thing in the box here. and I'm going to ask... James Covington and his family to come up. This is the first candle of Advent this week. It's the Hope candle. There you go. You want to take that? And they're going to place it over here, and over the following four Sundays, we're going to light a different candle each week. This week we light the hope candle, then we'll light the love candle, joy, peace, and finally on Christmas Day we'll light the Christ candle. Today's the first Sunday of Advent and today is a great time to pause and reflect where is our hope? Where have we put our hope? Is it in the political process? Is it in the name that we have on our passport, the country that it represents? Is it how much stuff we have? Is it our subculture, our group? As they light this candle, take just a minute, and through the rest of this, and it, it, yeah, there we go. as we light this, take a minute to think about that, to ask yourself that question. Are we, like Daniel, ones who place our trust ultimately in the living God, above all kings, above all rulers? Or do we shut our windows, like Daniel so easily could have done, and give our public allegiance to things other than God with that? You see, our hope is in God. Advent is a practice, a routine, a reordering to focus and nurture, to facilitate and grow in our hope in God, and also to cut it off from every other person, place, team, or thing. There are some practices this week in our worship guide. Please pay attention to it. Please pay attention to the worship guide this week. It gives you some very practical ways to develop these things. Thanks, guys. You can sit down. And I want to end with this. Um, Chris, how many Kids, how many of you have been to Crystal Bridges? How many of you, your parents take you to Crystal Bridges, right? Man, it's so awesome, isn't it? I mean, it's incredible. And Mr. and Mrs. Cornette were out there earlier. Uh, when was it last week? You were out there? And they saw this painting. And this is one of the paintings from Crystal Bridges. Can you tell what it is? Can anybody see? So... What do you th- Well, Stalin's in there for sure. It's world leaders, exactly. The toppled heads of world leaders. And the title of this painting is called Landscape. But Crystal Bridges sent out an email earlier this week, as it's, I think it's Poetry Month, or was last month. And they, they linked the famous poem, Osmondius, with this landscape and this is what osmandias says i met a traveler from an antique land who said two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert near them on the sand half sunk a shattered visage lies whose frowned and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculpture well those passions read which yet survives, stamped on these lifeless things. The hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal these words appeared. My name is Osmandius, King of Kings. Look upon my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing besides remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, The lone and level sands stretch far away. Darius did not live forever. The Medes and the Persians, their laws have gone away. The cities that they built have been destroyed, as all the cities of men will do. But there is a king who lives forever. There is a kingdom which will never end. And that king and that kingdom is who we're here today to worship, who we're here to give our allegiance to, who we are here to place our hope in. So I'm gonna ask the worship team to come back up. And kids, we're we're gonna to come to this table. We're gonna to come to this communion table today. You're gonna to come with your parents. And unlike those statues in the desert that have fallen into decay, this table yet stands. For 2,000 years, this table has stood and continues to be placed as the centerpiece of Christian worship, the place where followers of Jesus come and are reminded of the works of Jesus. And not to despair, but to find hope. We look at this table and find hope. And this table endures because the one who sets it yet lives. Jesus came, Jesus is here, and Jesus will come again. When we come to this table, we remember who is the ultimate ruler, whose kingdom is forever who lives forever, and we accept his invitation to take that. So as we come and we take the communion and then as we give our offerings and we pray and reflect, go this week considering where your hope is. And thank you for being here today.